2: You are listening to the Tuesday, November seventh edition of His Radio, brought to you by my bookie. I'm Pat Corain on Twitter at Pat Corain, and with me is Sean Siegel on Twitter at FF underscore contrarian. Sean, how was your week nine?
3: Good. Especially after the the midweek disappointment of, of losing more exciting players. Uh, this this has been mm-hmm. such a rough season with the two top dynasty players out for the season and then uh, Deshaun Watson was really making this season worth it, and to lose him, uh, you know, that was just a huge blow for everybody, but we bounced back with a, a pretty exciting Sunday, had a couple teams score 50-plus points, uh, certainly had some trades that had interesting elements to them, so it was a fun week, and, and hopefully this will help us develop some momentum going toward the fantasy playoffs.
2: Yeah, a fun week, and we have a really fun guest this week as well, uh, Pat Doherty of Rotoworld on Twitter, at Rotopat. Uh, one of my favorites to, to get on the show just uh, a, a funny guy a great guy to talk to and um, a great football mind as well so uh, we got a, a great show coming up here with pat
3: yeah he's he's the best i i still remember some of his treat some of his tweets from years ago so uh, be interested to hear what he has to say
2: absolutely uh before we get to that I want to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotovis NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage. That's rotovis.com slash podcast. That subscription will give you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content, and it also supports the pod. And you can help support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotovis radio channel on iTunes. You got two choices there. You got your Rotovis radio channel. You also have the football, uh fantasy football show. Uh, we've got Kind of our individual feed, and then the main road of his Radio feed that'll have all of the Rotoviz Radio shows. So your choice and uh, reviews, especially on the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show, are much appreciated since that's a new channel uh, and that can help new users, new listeners, and that can help new listeners find the show. Uh, you can also contact us via email at at Radio at gmail.com and on Twitter at road of his Radio. Uh, but let's get to our interview with Pat Doherty of RotoWorld on Twitter, at RotoPat. Please welcome to the show, Pat Darty, who you can follow on Twitter, at RotoPat. It's a writer and ranker for RotoWorld, uh, and one of the funniest follows that you can uh, possibly have on Twitter. Pat, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Uh, it's way too kind of you to say, and uh, but I, I accept all compliments. And uh, <laughs> it is my... my I mean, seriously, my always my distinct pleasure to come on Rotoviz Radio, and love the pod, love the site, love the writers, and yeah, I'm happy to be here.
2: Awesome. Well, let's kick things off with the Panthers, uh, who had some big changes this week after trading away Kelvin Benjamin. Um, You know, it definitely had kind of a a negative effect on the team, at least in terms of the reaction of the trade. But the early results on the field were promising. Uh, Curtis Samuel is more involved. Christian McCaffrey finally flashed. Uh, And there did seem to be a little bit more space, which, you know, was the uh, the reason that the team gave for making them making the move. So do you think we're going to see a faster, more dynamic Carolina Panthers offense? Or is this mostly the result of facing a weak Atlanta defense this week?
1: Yeah, you know, I'd say it's pretty promising that, uh, you know, the on field results like immediately matched the rhetoric. It didn't take two or three weeks or whatever. Uh, They did look more spread out. Uh, They did look a little more explosive, and you know it was a it was a kind of a a team Falcons defense that's in disarray. But even if it was, you know, kind of schedule related, they've got a pretty soft schedule going forward. They have the Dolphins at home this week. Then they play the Jets, then the Saints. We know the Saints are a little better, but yeah, I mean, what pretty pretty hard. I mean, I know it's one game. That's the smallest possible sample size, but. Yeah, I mean it, I don't I don't know if it could have gone any better at least going by the trade that is could have gone any better going by the Panthers reasoning. You had Christian McCaffrey across the board set new new season highs uh 53 of 65 snaps. Uh, new season highs not just in like rate stats but also counting stats. Just so easily his best game of the year, you know, fact to come 4 or 5 days after the trade I'd say is a good omen. And you know Curtis Samuel didn't bust any of the big plays but he set a new season high for snaps and I think he'll, I think he's going to be really good and like, well, maybe not really good, but at least an improvement in uh, running like those deep vertical routes. They had Devin Funches running or, or they just weren't hitting any of their deep plays. They used to hit to Ted Ginn this year. And because all their seemed like all their really deep vertical routes down the field were going to Devin Funches, and he just wasn't getting that separation. And if there's one thing uh, Curtis Samuel should be able to do as a rookie, it's get separation down the field. So, Yeah, I'd say for one week, I I totally bought it. And I think it's definitely a game they can build on going forward, considering kind of how soft the schedule's looking.
3: You mentioned the snaps. This was only the second time all season that Samuel was in on more than 30% of the snaps. And you also mentioned the vertical element. In terms of different comps, you know, you look at our box score scout or listen to actual scouts talk about him. And Percy Harvin is the person he is most similar to, or at least was similar to, as a prospect how much should we be concerned about the overlap in the skills between McCaffrey and Samuel especially because I mean you mentioned that that McCaffrey had you know sort of a mini breakout performance which was awesome for all of us McCaffrey owners to see but we still saw uh, Newton missing badly when he was open in the end zone, considering that Newton struggles on some of those routes that maybe they'd like to get McCaffrey and Samuel involved on. Is it a concern that there'll be too much overlap that they'll cannibalize each other in terms of, at least short term fantasy value?
1: I'd say it's not a huge concern. I mean, the skill sets are different enough that I don't think there'll be like a ton of overlap, but if you're going to have concern, it's that they're both kind of guys, you know, that need their touches manufactured and in the NFL, It can be hard enough to manufacture touches for one player. So then, when you're trying to, when you have two guys who, you know, kind of aren't creating their own, their own space, their own looks, then that does become a concern. And I think definitely McCaffrey is going to, uh, you know, take the, he'll be taking the lead. I mean, he's going to be the guy they're working harder to get the ball. So if they have to. If Samuel can never create his own space, and like they're having to work just as hard to create looks for him as they are for McCaffrey, then I'll be concerned. But I didn't see a ton of evidence of that so far yesterday, and uh, yeah, I, compl- I can definitely understand where you're coming from. But right now, it's yeah, not at the forefront of my mind when I'm thinking about the Panthers' offense. Well,
3: let's go to the other side of that trade, Kelvin Benjamin goes to the Bills, and perhaps one of the reasons why they made that acquisition is that they are in the playoff chase more so before they had the Thursday night meltdown. Um, Zay Jones was the rookie they brought in to sort of be their number one or at least move in that direction. And then for the first eight weeks, he has 10 catches on 37 targets, which, I mean, that seems almost impossible. I'm looking (laughs) at the the road of his screener here, and with that volume— he had 60 expected points and managed to score just 21. I mean, that's that's like five mm. times worse than <laughs> any other wide receiver in the NFL in terms of of the efficiency level. But then finally, he has this big game. It, it, is this more we can expect to see from Jones going forward? What do you like or dislike about that game, him, and then the fit with Benjamin coming in?
1: I'm gonna go bold and say this is closer to the real Zay, which you know goes against basically literally half the season. You know, before it was so inefficient, it was basically like it was like. Brian Hoyer trying to target Prashad Paraman or something just kind of like laughably <laughs> inefficient but you know, Zay was he, he he so he kind of had a good game in week eight he like like a ever so tiny stepping stone at least at least they think there was week eight where he did I hope I'm not misremembering that and so then for him to kind of come out last Thursday and have you know what was easily his best game of the year and you know, he he ran he, it was hard. He ran really good routes on this touchdown. He basically put Justin Burris on skates, and then the play where he got hurt, he would have had another touchdown because he did the same thing to Buster Scrine. Scrine tripped him up, so it just seemed like a rookie player gaining confidence and kind of living up to you know what his pre-draft skill set was supposed to be, and just a guy. You know, they've been he's been learning trial by fire all year. You know, thrown into the fire, uh, learning on the spot on Sundays and. Maybe he's finally picking some of it up and just kind of getting up to NFL speed. So uh, I'm kind of, I'm going to go bold, like I said, and say that's closer to the real Zay. And I think uh, the addition of Kelvin Benjamin will definitely help uh, take pressure off both him and Jordan Matthews. And Kelvin Benjamin's going to play X receiver, kind of free Zay up to a more rookie friendly role as the Z where he doesn't get, you know, jammed immediately off the line of scrimmage every route. So, yeah, it's, uh, always a uh, risky, you know, to wait one game over seven or eight. But I just think, I think we're seeing a rookie kind of get his feet underneath him and kind of starting to live up to his potential.
2: Do you think that the addition of um, Benjamin could be good for Zay in terms of like his dynasty prospects? You know, because as you mentioned, he might be able to move over to a more rookie-friendly role, but. On the other hand, of course, you've got a guy coming in who could potentially be re-signed there, be the the long-term number 1. You also have Jordan Matthews, uh I believe going to be a free agent after the year. So he could be re-signed there, be, you know, uh this allows Zay to develop a little bit more and then they don't re-sign either guy and he's the the long-term number 1 in Buffalo having um, you know, developed more than we saw in the first half of the year where he wasn't playing well. So, how do you kind of uh look at Zay now? As the wide receiver three there in, in Buffalo, the volume's diminished, but maybe he's got a chance to develop a little bit more naturally as a rookie. Is that, Do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing that they added, Benjamin?
1: It's probably still good. You know, with Dynasty, there's so many moving parts. I mean, who's to say, will Tyrod Taylor you know, even be the quarterback this time next year? I mean, he probably will be. But just a lot of moving parts in that. Like you mentioned contracts and all that. But in general, you know, the better the offense is, uh, the better your Dynasty league prospects are going to be and as long as it's not someone like you know, a generational player like Antonio Brown you know gobbling up some you know, an unholy share of the target share it's it's, it's usually not a bad thing I mean Kelvin Benjamin's a guy who he, he was kind of like an he was kind of like targeted like an alpha wide receiver one in Carolina but we know that's not who he is he's not good enough for that role and he's not someone i think is going to crowd out the rest of the offense you know kind of black out the target sun so to speak so i think in general i mean kelvin provides a boost to the offense both in the, the near and maybe long term if they resign him which you know, after they went out and kind of aggressively pursued him i feel like they'll probably resign him and just, it, my initial point is you know, the better the offense you know probably the better your dynasty prospects are i think uh that's what i'll try to count on with uh Olze. <laughs>
2: Makes sense. Um, I want to move over to the Titans offense that, you know, I think certainly wrote we were thinking was going to be better this season than it has been. Um, we've really high on Mariota as a prospect. Um, on the other hand, not all that high on Deshaun Watson as a prospect and he's turned out, you know, kind of to be everything that we had hoped Mariota would kind of show this season. So, um, how much, uh, how much, I guess what do you attribute this kind of difference to with what Watson was able to do right away and then what Mariota really hasn't developed into here uh this year do you do you attribute a lot of it to the fact that Watson had Hopkins and Fuller um Mariota hasn't really had a true number one guy at least until kind of if and when Corey Davis emerges and then how much of it is just Mariota maybe simply being kind of a solid talent instead of a generational talent
1: I'll just give the cop out answer. You say, you know, it's really a combination of everything. You got fairly conservative coaching staff. Uh, you have a supporting cast that's deep, but not really like high end talent. You know, if you're going to make like a, a baseball analogy, maybe like a lot of number five and six hitters, but not a lot of number three and four hitters. So, not a bad supporting cast, but not like elite weapons like DeAndre Hopkins and what Will Fuller was looking like. And then, you know, if you're comparing Mariota to Deshaun Watson, it's just, you know, completely different mindsets. Mariota just has been a very, very conservative player through three NFL seasons, like very surprised that you know he just, he doesn't have an instinct to take off and run, which can be a good thing. A lot, a lot of dual threat quarterbacks sometimes, you know, are like too quick to bail on the pocket, but I don't think, I think Mariota doesn't do it enough. And part of that might be coaching, but, yeah, just a, a more conservative mindset than I was expecting from Marcus Mariota when he came into the NFL. And, you know, the injuries have, you know, impossible to ignore. He's had three NFL seasons, he's been hurt in all three of them now. And th- this year, you know, the hamstring not as significant as he had he said, an MCL issue in both of his knees, but maybe the injuries, you know, that they. they even two or three weeks missed will kind of stunt your development, and then you've got it in the. If you're a running quarterback, you've got it in the back of your mind. I don't want to pull my hamstring again. So, I think just kind of a confluence of events, and um, he's never going to be, he's, he's never going to be like as aggressive uh, as a player probably as Deshaun Watson. But um, I'm not ready to like say this is who Mariota is. I think there's still some room for projection here, especially like you said, if Corey Davis uh, lives up to being a top five pick, but. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's a silver bullet answer for the difference so far between Mariota and Watson would you like to see a different coaching staff in play here I actually would uh, last year you know Mike Malarkey, a very easy Twitter target uh, one of the most like kind of ridiculous recycled hires in recent years just uh, you know not a guy you would have ever associated with uh, kind of like jump starting a franchise but I thought he did a surprisingly good job last year but I think this year they haven't added enough elements and been kind of hamstringing the offense that's I'm saying that literally and figuratively by like playing injured players and you know, they keep playing DeMarco Murray at less than 100 percent they played Delaney Walker at less than 100 percent a lot and maybe it's not having a real effect but just seem like doing little things to hold the offense back this year and uh I just don't Mike Malarkey did a surprisingly good job of kind of stabilizing the situation, kind of getting the Titans on the right track. But kind of like Jack Del Rio in Oakland, I don't think he's the guy to you know really take it next level. So, uh, yeah.
3: Let's move over to, to replay. The past couple of weeks, we've seen a number of touchdowns, not just not confirmed or letting the call stand, but touchdowns that seem to be clear touchdowns overturned. And then this last week, we had all of the fights. We had players... Uh, ejected players not ejected had the situation in the Jacksonville game where Ramsey's ejected doesn't necessarily seem like he should be and then Mike Evans is allowed to continue to play which leads to the weird uh, future complicating factor of him being suspended for a game whereas the players in the Cincinnati Jacksonville game are not what would you like to see them go to with instant replay is it a big deal should they be using it to consider ejections
1: I gotta be honest. When I was watching the game yesterday, like I felt like they should be. I was like, oh, you know, that should definitely be reviewable. Like, how can you just punch a guy and stay in the game if the ref doesn't see it? But then, after like literally two or three seconds of reflection, uh, I decided no. That I mean, clearly, I'm a a big fan of replay. Uh, the, The game without replay would be basically intolerable at this point. We've we have higher standards now. You you know, you gotta get the play right, but. If you watch a college game, you know it's just nonstop replays. You're know, reviewing, like, targeting every other series. And really, the stuff like what happened yesterday with the fights happens uh, surprisingly infrequently. It's not really something you know every week, like, oh, we need to be reviewing that fight. So I would say kind of like penalties. I don't think penalties should be reviewable. I do not think fighting should be reviewable. Um, I like a uh, big fan of replay in general, but I think the NFL probably has the right amount of replays it does not need a college amount of replays.
2: Yeah, I actually think the thing with replay in the NFL is that the catch rule makes no sense, and the kind of you know the the ASJ like no. fumble out of bounds when he never lost, he never actually lost the ball.
1: You know, it's like yeah, and and like the Zach Miller, I mean, not to be morbid, but like literally sacrificing his leg almost to score a touchdown, and then it's not a touchdown, right? And just yeah, so yeah. I, I'm sorry I interrupted you right, right in the middle. Of your <laughs> no, report, no, it, but it's fine. The, the catch yeah. rule is, uh, I think we could probably all talk you know, the entire podcast about the catch rule and uh, maybe the lack of common sense with it.
2: Absolutely, and if you don't have a rule that makes sense or is even kind of clearly definable, then you can slow down something as, you know as slow as it can possibly go. We can look at still frames all day, but if we don't even know what a catch is and isn't or what possession is or isn't. You know, replay's not going to do you any good. So, yeah, I think the they got to figure that out and do it in a way that makes some kind of sense because it's it's bizarre right now. the The Dachshund catch uh, last night that got down to the one. I I uh, I saw on ESPN. I had him in a game and I saw the uh, the total flip back to, like, the pre-catch fantasy total, and I, I was like, oh, my God, did they overturn this catch? <laughs> I, I, like, started freaking out because I was, I was streaming the game, so it wasn't, like, I, I my, like, uh, <laughs> my score was probably ahead of the game, I was thinking. So when I I thought for a second that that got overturned and I almost lost it. But I, I guess it was just a glitch with my ESPN thing.
1: With the Dachshund thing, I thought there was one angle that it made it look like he had crossed before getting touched, and then another where I thought it was pretty clear that he had gotten touched, so... That was like uh, another re- replay stalemate.
2: Yeah, so i I thought uh, I thought he had been touched before the the line as well, but I thought for a second they called it not a catch at all, and that's when I saw. Oh, oh yeah, it. Yeah. That so, would be, <laughs> yeah.
1: That would have been even by the NFL standards, that would have been quite something. Uh.
2: <laughs> yeah, all right, but let's uh, let's kind of talk about some more of the the craziness in the NFL right now. Uh, going to the Giants and Broncos, um, just two teams that looked pretty bad who looked worse uh giving up 51 points and have you seen a worse year for quarterback play and which is not just some bad quarterback play we've had some horrible injuries to quarterback as as well so it's just like uh it it just seems like a the perfect storm in the worst kind of way for quarterbacks playing like worse than we'd expect plus the good ones getting hurt have you seen anything worse than this
1: i'm not not sure if i have a quarterback Uh, going back very quickly to the Uh, the Giants and the Broncos. I'd say the Giants look worse just because it was at home. And, you know, I know Jared Goff has made some progress this year, but if you're going to let Jared Goff hang 51 on you at home, uh, it's not a very good sign, not a very good sign for your franchise. But, you know, the quarterback play, I'm sure there have been times where it was probably, you know, this thin. It's it's very thin right now. The the depth does not – the position seems like it's maybe like 17 or 18 deep right now and it feels thinner than ever i bet it's probably been this thin before but there's just less ways to hide them than there's been in the past i feel like you know less commitment to the running game uh you know all about the problems developing offensive linemen and seem maybe more than ever just a bigger disconnect between uh coaching and like their quarterback strengths you got uh, there's so much like square pegging and round holing so to speak where you know, teams insist on trying to fit the quarterback to the system instead of vice versa. And until that changes, I think, you know, unless you're a player that has the, like the natural skill set to overcome all that, uh, like a Deshaun Watson, uh, we might see a lot of situations more where it's just like Jared Goff last year, you know, a completely uh, mismatched system, just completely overwhelmed. And we've got to get more on the same page with quarterback skill sets and coaching. It was just, I thought it was very funny, you know, after the, uh, Broncos Eagles game, you know the Eagles score fifty one points on the Broncos. You had Broncos disrespecting their offense, basically calling it a college offense. And you know, like you know how you know, how dumb are the Eagles? You know to run an offense that scores points. And <laughs> until you know that mindset changes, yeah, I think we might be seeing uh, more and more of the the quote unquote quarterback crisis.
2: Pat, to be fair to Jared Goff, like what quarterback is Jeff Fisher's offense for? Like, no,
1: I know I that's, that's what I'm saying yeah I mean like it was how how was Jared Goff ever going to succeed in that offense because you know unless you're like uh like a borderline generational player like that like Steve McNair which he he wasn't a generational player by but unless you're like a really above average player like Steve McNair you know how are you going to transcend uh, Jeff Fisher you know you're not so, so that's what I'm saying yeah you got a guy like Jared Goff being put in a hopeless system and looking like he doesn't even belong in the NFL. And then literally one year later, you got a coach, you know, you know, trying to hide his deficiencies, trying to maximize his strengths, and lo and behold, you know, they're scoring points. He has multi touchdown games. You know, not every game, because there are still some limitations there, but you know, when in a good spot and coached upright, he can have a, a big game and there's just not enough quarterbacks that have coaches working with them like that right now, in my opinion.
3: You picked out the Giants as the more embarrassing of the the two teams. Put yourself on the field for the Robert Woods touchdown. Now, Woods is probably better than he looked with the Bills, but he's not a a Tyreek Hill kind of runner with the ball. Uh, If you're Landon Collins or you're Eli Apple, do you think you could take better angles to the ball than they did there?
1: You would think so, Uh, especially Eli Apple. I'm really not sure. He looked like... uh... It's kind of making cultural references is kind of fraught because like not everyone has seen everything, but I thought Eli Apple kind of looked like like a malfunctioning, like Westworld host. Like there was kind of like a glitch (laughs) in the software and all of a sudden he just started running the wrong way. Uh, I think they uh, probably could have uh, probably could have defensed (laughs) that one a little bit better. Well, he was running the wrong way.
3: And then when Woods angle continued to take him toward Apple, like you said, the the, the malfunctioning host, he, he continued to then seemingly try and find a different direction to go. Moving over to the Tyreek Hill touchdown, a lot of people talked about that as one of the most spectacular plays they'd ever seen. But when the Dallas Cowboys dropped all the way back with all of those defenders and the Chiefs dumped the ball off to Hill with blockers in front, the first thing I thought to myself was, he's going to score on this. I mean, you can't let him have the ball... With you know, with a running start, blockers in front, you know that guy with that speed. Did did you also have that sense, or, or is this one of the most spectacular plays you know in the last several seasons?
1: I think it's more towards one of the most spectacular plays. I'm sure in hindsight, uh, the Cowboys might have defensed that one differently. But usually, you know, you get eight or nine NFL athletes back there near the goal line. The the picket fence, I think, that's what they call it. The picket fence defense. You know, will work and even if you get a guy with a head of steam you will and some blockers you know if you've got eight or nine guys back there uh, guarding the end zone they will stop him and uh, I just think that was just more Tyreek Hill does things that no one else in the NFL can do I mean just no one else has that kind of like on a dime acceleration and it's just so fluid and Again, you know, considering Tyreek Hill is that kind of player. Again, maybe the Cowboys would have or should have done something uh, different, but I think that was more just Tyreek being just an all-world, uh, just an all-world athlete. Pat,
2: I'm not sure if this was you, but you guys had uh, in the, in your blurb for Alex Smith uh, described that play as a hail mary checkdown, which I I thought was pretty spot on. <laughs> And uh it's just amazing that you know like in a season where somehow Alex Smith is looking like Aaron Rodgers and and now he's getting Hail Marys done as well just like Rodgers it's it's perfect that he's still doing it it's a Hail Mary <laughs> checkdown
1: <laughs> That was me you know you got to be you got to be true to yourself and Alex Smith was true to himself he's if he had thrown a real Hail Mary you know it would have been pulled down at like the 10 yard line by he's not by uh he, he's injured but like a chris conley type and he would have gotten tackled like the eight but alex smith you know he stayed within himself stayed true to himself even on the hail mary i'm gonna check it down it's not a real check down for setting up blockers and it's tyree kill but yeah this is alex smith staying within himself and knowing his strengths and weaknesses That's amazing
2: um i want to go to uh the rookie running backs this year which have just been um terrific it's been a great season for many of them um but who, who do you prefer be, between kind of the, for Dynasty purposes, between the kind of mega prospects, the guys who were really considered the top guys when drafts are going on, Fournette, McCaffrey, and Cook? And then I'm also curious about what you think of the the two guys have really emerged. Um, I guess there's, there's even been more than these two guys, perhaps, if you count Aaron Jones. But uh, Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara. Uh, Kamara, obviously, with a, a huge game this week. Uh, where do these where do those two guys fit in with with the mega prospects at this point?
1: I'd say they fit in pretty well. You know, the concern with a guy like Alvin Kamara is like uh yeah, he can certainly be successful in early downs. It's not as when you get typecast as more of a change of pace or passing down guy that can stay with you for like a really long time. You know, like look what's happening with Duke Johnson. He was amazing in the ACC between the tackles and this is his third year in the league and he still hasn't gotten that chance. So uh maybe that could happen to Alvin Kamara but that's just like a, a small looking forward concern um but you know before the uh, the season started i was all in on Christian McCaffrey and i still like Christian McCaffrey but he looks concerningly similar to me uh when he's out on the field from like a build perspective like a 5 foot 10 like 180 eighty pound. Uh, guy and he he looks a little smaller than I was expecting in NFL uniform, and uh, really struggling to create his own space, which was something you know he really excelled at in the uh, the Pac-12. So a little off. I still like McCaffrey, but a little off McCaffrey in terms of comparing him to like Fournette and Dalvin Cook and Kareem Hunt. And I think yeah, I love Kareem Hunt, but I th- of the big three, if we're gonna go with uh, Fournette, Cook and McCaffrey, I think I'll go with Fournette because it's been really something to behold to see that athletic profile kind of translate to the NFL level. Just a hulking, gigantic human being and the things he can do at his size that that 75 yard touchdown, he scored against the Rams. He was, you know, outrunning defensive backs and making them look like, you know, like defensive tackles, basically just like leaving, you know, who were supposed to be like the smaller, speedier guys in the dust. And, you got all the ankle concerns. It's not going away, unfortunately. But this, yeah, based on what I've seen so far, I will give Fournette the edge of the, of the edge amongst the the big three.
3: Looking back in terms of expected points again, you have Fournette at seventeen point five, McCaffrey at fifteen point seven, Hunt fourteen point eight, Cook thirteen point six, and Camara twelve point five. The interesting thing there is that Fournette is well above the expectation. both rushing and receiving whereas McCaffrey is below expectation on both Uh, one of the things Ben Gretch has been saying in his ceiling signals column is that McCaffrey's floor is so high because even though uh, he's not scoring the way people would want and you know he's not even hitting the value that his touches would suggest you know he still scores points that if he can get up into that more efficient range then you know he'll have both a high floor and a high ceiling you compare that to someone like Kareem Hunt, whose expected points are much lower, and he really hasn't been getting the workload uh, that you know we would hope with, with how efficient he's been over the first half. Do you see the roles changing at all, or do you see the efficiency changing in terms of, of those main players?
1: It is interesting. You made a lot of good points about Christian McCaffrey there, and that, that has been one very encouraging thing with him, but even through his struggles, they've really stuck with him I mean, you know, every week targeting him seven or eight times in the passing game you know that could actually maybe the targets won't necessarily go up but I mean the usage clearly seems to be on the rise and maybe he'll have a, a Zay Jones moment you know so to speak where he kind of gets over uh, his rookie doldrums and just kind of starts you know performing up to you know what his skill set is supposed to be on paper so that has been very encouraging with Christian McCaffrey. With Kareem Hunt, you know, I don't really know what Andy Reid's getting at. You know, season low, snap percentage yesterday, uh, under 10 carries, and Cream Hunt under 10 carries in two of his past four games. Uh, the only thing I can really think of is that last year, you know, Spencer Ware kind of really wore down down the stretch. Uh, maybe Andy Reid's trying to avoid that again, especially with a rookie that you know, this is going to be by far the longest and grueling uh, football season he's ever played uh, in, at any level. But I think it's more just kind of been just Andy Reid being Andy Reid and just kind of letting things. He's an amazing coach. I think Andy Reid's actually an underrated coach, but you know it's no secret he can kind of let uh, things get away from him at some point when it comes to uh, usage with his weapons. And Chiefs are going on by in Week 10. I think Andy Reid will reevaluate, uh, maybe overcorrect and – Come out and give Cream Hunt, you know, the ball 25 30 times against the Giants in Week Eleven, and I, I do not think we're seeing a sea change with Cream Hunt's usage.
3: Yeah, it's good to hear you say that, and I, I think that's the case as well. Last week we suggested selling Hunt on the show, and in the short term that would have worked. Obviously, the longer term is a different question. I think my concern would be that of those five players, Hunt has the second lowest number of expected points in the passing game, which is not what I would have expected. You know, Reed had the reputation in Philadelphia as throwing the ball way too much. And I think that a little bit of that was undeserved because part of what he was doing was shifting some of those low success rate running plays to higher success rate You know, little passes to the running back, which was really ahead of its time. And and one of the reasons he was so successful there, and it's sort of frustrating, I think, in that he was criticized for something that was actually a, a key part of his success. And when the Chiefs drafted Hunt, I thought that that was one of the most exciting things for Hunt's fantasy value, is that he'd be moving into that role that players like Westbrook and LaShawn McCoy had huge success with. So it'll certainly be interesting to see what they do when they come off of the bye, like you mentioned, because... uh, for the offense to work and for him to be to have the fantasy value we want, I think they have to get him involved in the passing game a lot more.
1: Yeah, that was a very interesting point you made. It's like you said, a lot of it has been undeserved. With Andy Reid and like his usage of Brian Westbrook, really was kind of uh, might be the way too strong of a word, but maybe kind of visionary or at least predictive of where the league was headed. And I certainly don't mind you know dialing back uh, Kareem Hunt's. Uh, you know, touches to, uh, on the ground to get him more through the air but they haven't really been making up for the the, lo- the loss of ground touches in the air and, you know sure Kendrick West's kind of in the game for a concerning amount yesterday and cream hunt just uh with his skill set he I'd have no idea. this is gonna sound like kind of dinosaur thinking but he seems to be a bit of a rhythm runner where if he's in rhythm he can really get going and when you're when you, he when you're such a big play threat uh just why not give your big play threat as many opportunities as he can to make plays on the ground. And But like I said, we, I could just be kind of talking in circles about it and uh, maybe Andy Reid's doing the right thing. So who knows?
2: All right. We're going to have more with Pap after this quick break. All right, Sean, we're going to be uh, right back with Pap already in uh, a minute here, but got to take a break to talk about my bookie. Uh, if you want to put some action on the game and you want fast, reliable payouts, You've got no other choice but MyBookie. Uh, and if you're a listener of this show, which obviously you are, because how else would you hear this? you got to go with MyBookie because they give you a 50% deposit bonus if you use our promo code ROTORADIO. That's MyBookie.AG with the code ROTORADIO. Sean, it, it's been um, an exciting week of football, as we've been talking about here. Uh, and, you know, more exciting football to come. I, I was watching Red Zone. They mentioned that basically about half the games are done, uh, but we that means we got half of the season left to go. Um, so plenty more games here to get some action down on at my bookie. What's what's kind of stood out to you over the last couple weeks? I know we've talked about it being kind of a, a season to take the under, a season to to bet underdogs. Uh, is that is that still the way to go? Do you think? Well, certainly that would be a bad call for several of the games we saw this week <laughs>
3: with the 51 point scores. I think that my new recommendation would be to figure out what you think is going to happen in the Jets game and then bet opposite that. Uh, what would you say your biggest <laughs> successful bet has been so far this year?
2: Well, the uh the biggest successful bet that I made was was probably from a process standpoint, not not ideal, but uh a few weeks ago we were so confident that the Packers were gonna win, we actually took an alternate line um where they were uh we had to be giving points against I guess the Cowboys, right? It was the first Aaron Jones game. Um and so we ended up we ended up covering the game, but we needed the Cow we needed the uh the Packers to actually uh, win by more than three so um, that game was super topsy-turvy and we ended up barely covering it at the end and, and so that was the most successful game but we kind of we kind of did it to ourselves in terms of stressing out because they, they fairly easily would have covered uh, the plus points regular bet that you would have gotten
3: and hopefully for people listening tomorrow uh, while we record this uh, during the Monday Night Football game we'll wake up and uh, everyone will see well, you't need to wake up, but everyone will see that Aaron Jones had a two hundred and fifty yard game, and the Packers win tonight,
2: yes, although Sean we've kind of got a, a bad track record here with jinxing players, so I was kind of hoping you wouldn't mention Aaron Jones on the show <laughs> since I also need him to have a great game but but hopefully our track record uh reverses itself just like the the high scoring games kind of reverse the low scoring trend that we would seen over the last couple of weeks, but very much in agreement there. Hopefully Aaron Jones uh, puts up some points tonight um, and, and pays off for our, us and our listeners. So, uh, But for now, make sure you go to mybookie.ag and make sure you use that promo code ROTORADIO to get your 50% deposit bonus. Mybookie.ag, fast, reliable payouts. That's got to be your go-to destination for putting money on the game. Uh, and let's get back to our interview with uh, RotoPat on Twitter, at RotoPat of RotoWorld fantasy football fans listen up if you love fantasy football then you need to try my new favorite app draft here's how it works you do a draft that lasts for just one week and there's no management just set it and forget it once you're done drafting that's it no trades no waiver wire draft even takes care of last minute injuries for you drafts start every couple minutes so you could join one right now and the best part you play for cold hard cash drafts start from just one dollar so there's a draft for everyone there's no salary caps so you play in real-life snake drafts, just like you would with your friends in a season-long league. So come in, join me, draft against me on Draft Today. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on PlayDraft.com, whatever you want. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code RV Radio. That's right. Play a real-money game for free just for using my promo code RV Radio on your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to playdraft.com and come play free with promo code RVRADIO. All right, Pat, I want to, um, you know, trade deadlines are coming up here in redraft leagues and in dynasty leagues as well. They're, they're around the corner as well. So I want to get your take on one guy uh, who can be acquired you know, if you could acquire one guy at their current cost that you would want on every redraft team for the stretch run.
1: It's always a tough question. Uh, I felt pretty disappointed in myself, not really being able to come up with anything great, but the first, the guy who did come to mind was Jay Ajayi, and maybe he'll be, I don't know, maybe his price will be a little inflated now, you know, because after on such limited work, he looked so good yesterday. But they are going on their buy this week, so maybe, uh, maybe that'll kind of help even out the even out the price a little bit and you talk about a big play threat he's just such a big play threat and even with jason peters running behind a much better offensive line and the eagles have a kind of a flukily high uh number of their touchdowns come through the air than on the ground you're gonna think you're gonna see some touchdown aggression for carson wentz like uh, more rushing touchdowns on the ground for the eagles and you know, if you if you want to be uh the bowling ball, knocking down pens in an offense, you know, this is looking like a good one. So I think Jay Ajayi will finish very strong for the Eagles. And with someone, you know, if you've got, uh, if you're set up good for week 10 and you can acquire a back who's on his buy, uh, I think it's uh, be a very good idea to go get
3: Jay Ajayi. He's a really interesting player because uh, due to the trade, due to having played poorly in Miami, and now perhaps having some questions about workload. Like you said, he was spectacular yesterday, but didn't touch the ball a high number of times. So No, you
1: know, yeah, very very few times.
3: <laughs> right. So with all of those question marks, I could see some big fluctuations in in price or, or just some huge differences in the types of packages that it takes to acquire him. What do you see as his price at this point?
1: Honestly, I'm always. This is always a question I'm like very bad at answering for some reason. If you want to go get Jay Ajayi, I mean, what what what's like the absolute cheapest? I and mean, it would have to be like a kind of a consistent lower end wide receiver one, like Michael Crabtree or something, or maybe selling high, so to speak, on Jordy Nelson. Get out before the bottom completely falls out. But I or maybe like a Doug Baldwin type, another kind of maybe consistent wide receiver one. Uh, like Michael Crabtree, but I honestly, yeah, I, to be honest, I don't know what the proper price is. In general, I feel like running backs are still valued more highly than receivers, but you know, maybe not always in PPR, obviously. And uh, basically, I just said a lot of words to say I don't have an answer. <laughs> uh.
2: Well, as you were mentioning Ajayi, um, you know, I, I think that's a that's a great call. Definitely someone with a lot of upside down the stretch, and I think he, they could move to him. really as kind of a workhorse down the stretch, so I totally agree with with him as someone to acquire, and in one league I have Carlos Hyde, and I was thinking okay, and, and Hyde's schedule down the stretch is a concern, now, there's some upside if Garoppolo, you know, moves the offense in a positive direction down the stretch as well uh, so I don't think he's like, you don't necessarily have to move off him, even though the by low, low machine at Rotovis rates his future schedule, I believe going into last week is the worst for all remaining running backs uh, through the rest of the year um, but Maybe you could do like a hide for Ajayi plus. You know, I, I was thinking uh, maybe about trying to look at my uh, Ajayi owner's roster and see what that plus might be to to make it interesting uh, for me coming back. So, uh, what do you guys yeah. think about that is sort of a price point?
1: i say it's a good idea. Yeah, and I was gonna, going to back to Jay Ajayi. I wouldn't be like, super concerned about his workload because – if you're going to go out and aggressively, you know, trade a fourth round pick or whatever for running back, it's probably not, you know, so he can like be part of a four man committee. I think they'll thin out the committee a little bit, but you know, that that sounds like uh, yeah, on paper kind of a like a perfect trade really where you kind of sell high on hide, try to get out in front on Ajayi and uh yeah. That's that's all I got.
3: That's definitely an interesting one. I I was going to ask you, uh, you know, if you would prefer Ajayi even overhide perhaps straight up on that trade. the The concern I have, or the thing that I think is interesting about those types of players, we've seen with Doug Martin having his value go from uh, being pretty significant, and a lot of people saying this is the guy to pick up. This offense is going to be good. Uh, you know, he's going to bounce back after sort of getting his life together once he gets off of that suspension. You know, he's going to really be a threat. You know, you have players like Eddie Lacy where there was a uh, sort of a bounce back in the enthusiasm for him moving to seattle certainly certainly someone like cj anderson going into this season with a lot of talk about how the scheme is going to be better for him do you think that ajayi fits into this group of running backs i i perhaps am biasing this in, in a unfair fashion and, and sort of suggesting that these are some of the types of runners that i think have very fragile value both in the short term and in the long term Um uh, a lot of people would obviously disagree with that. But no, I think. But does Ajay fit in there? I mean, would you be trying to get rid of some a player like that in order to get him because you see him as being different, maybe a, a better player than those guys?
1: It's a very sensible um, uh, comparison, but I do. I, th- I think he's probably a better player than Doug Martin, and you know the big difference between this, like especially situation mentioned in the Bucks, where it's like no longer projection you know we know the Eagles offense is very good and we know the Bucks' offense isn't what we thought it was so that's kind of like the main difference there where I feel like you can pretty much depend on the Eagles offense down the stretch and it's it's not it's not projection you know we've we've seen it whereas with the Bucks and Doug Martin you know we it was the best laid plans but uh, you know the forecast for their offense was kind of wrong you know went awry so I I definitely understand where you're coming from but uh, yeah I would say that would probably be the main difference between the players at this point.
2: Pat what about in Dynasty is there any player who you're kind of targeting for stretch runs in uh you know contending dynasty teams
1: well for stretch runs this year uh, i was thinking more more long term i was gonna say i'm gonna target target me some odell beckham uh okay. maybe try to see if say if anyone's willing to sell low on him you know a very bad looking injury but uh they the prognosis is very good and earlier i uh, kind of too loosely threw around the uh, The phrase generational talent, but I do think Odell Beckham is a generational talent. Still extremely young. So, someone, you know, maybe if my team's out of it, yeah, I'll target uh, Odell Beckham pretty heavily down the stretch. You know, then if I'm still in it and we're trying to pursue someone maybe a projectable prospect, uh, you know, maybe go after get you some Juju Smith Schuster, the youngest player in the NFL. You know, I know we've got some pretty, <clears throat> pretty serious questions about Ben Roethlisberger going forward, but and you've got a 20 year old receiver, you know, who's already had like a 95 yard touchdown, a 200 yard game, uh, it's, it's not a bad, bad place to start. Uh, when the kind of like, you know, is this guy going to be a playmaker for me in the future? So you do have the questions with the quarterback, but, uh, yeah, that's my very uh, hastily thought out, maybe too chalky answer in Juju Smith-Schuster.
3: On Smith-Schuster, just how high would you go on him? I, I ask, I'm putting together a redraft of um, the 2017 class to, to have out this week. And the thing that is pretty interesting, even with all of these just immensely talented running backs, I think you could have all five of those guys that we mentioned earlier on the show in your top 10 dynasty running backs overall. But, but even with those guys, looking at Smith-Schuster and, you know, he, he had this huge plunge in his value with a sort of poor 2016 season and then not showing elite athleticism at the Combine. But so many of the things that we use in our projections for receivers suggest the players who break out as early as he did as a college player and to such a high level. And then, like you mentioned, youngest player in the NFL, um, having a very strong rookie season. The players who have strong rookie wide receiver seasons have much higher ceilings and are much more uh, reliable going forward than players. You have to wait a little bit longer on. Would it be completely out of line to consider him like with the one Oh one, even with all these running backs, if you were to draft that class now,
1: I would say yes, just because, I mean, I know the running backs have the shorter shelf life, but you know, this was a, uh, it was viewed as a great running back class, and it has, you know, very obviously lived up to the hype. And I still just think maybe with the quarterback questions, the Juju Smith Schuster, and, you know, the Antonio Brown questions, yeah, Antonio Brown does not seem to be slowing down anytime soon. I and mean, it is an offense that has you know, very easily supported two uh, high end fantasy receivers in the past. But so, yeah, maybe I'd still give the running backs the edge. But to me, the real question is like, would I take him over someone like Corey Davis, who. Number five overall pick, but has spent most of his rookie year injured. And we've seen, you know, had very bad luck with highly drafted receivers getting hurt their rookie years and then, you know, kind of having that be a harbinger of what's to come. And you know, I'm not, I, there's, I don't think there's any reason to think that with Corey Davis, especially because it was a, a minor hamstring injury. But to me, yeah, it's, it's already an interesting debate uh, if I would take Corey Davis over Juju Smith Schuster. And you know, right now, I might go completely in the moment. Be a prisoner of the moment and say I would take Juju uh, over Corey Davis, but yeah, you know, if I was actually like sitting down and researching for like twenty minutes, and, like really thinking about it, I'd probably have a different answer. I'd probably come back to the safer answer of Corey Davis, but yeah, I think the fact that it's even kind of an interesting debate at this point is uh, interesting.
3: I like it. I think that that's a great question, and um, I, I think both of those guys are right there with Fournette, um, possibly a couple of the other running backs for that. that top pick especially when you look at like you mentioned the longevity and just the extremely high ceiling that both of those players have so yeah that
1: yeah and it's very it's very interesting the running backs that so i don't know why i started interrupting you it's a bad habit Uh, i just started but like with the running backs We've already we, we've seen so much great things, but they they all have they all do have like already like kind of established like landmines. Where like, Fournette's ankle issues kind of aren't really going away. Dalvin Cook already with the ACL. You know, Christian McCaffrey not looking the same on NFL film as he did in college film. You know, Kamara even you know like really being slotted into the third down role. So, and for as much as they've all shown, it, it is it's like none of them have looked like completely foolproof. So. I think I think it's like who is the best 2017 running back in dynasty? It's probably going to be a question, like basically with a different answer, you know, every month for like the next year. Well,
3: Pat, one of the things we wanted to ask you, as we mentioned in the intro, you are one of the funniest NFL writers in the business. I I don't know why it sticks with me, but. A couple of years ago, you had a tweet, I think, about the Kentucky Derby uh, saying something to the effect of any time you're watching this horse race, you're watching a, a sports contest in which the participants have no stake in what's going on. Uh, when when you're coming off of a bad loss in, in one of your fantasy leagues, who do you look to for a humorous tweet to take your mind off of it?
1: i was gonna say uh again way too kind (laughs) that's pretty when i heard you say the kentucky derby i was like wow i wonder what i tweeted about the kentucky derby (laughs) but uh, i do i do actually that's like a that's a riff i've expanded on in real life before to my friends uh so yeah i do i stand by that tweet uh from the, the 2014 kentucky derby i'm gonna guess is when it was but you know, the funniest, uh, to be honest, I think the funniest guy on Twitter is this guy named Sam Donsky, at Dance Remix. It's kind of a, a unique Twitter handle. He's an old writer for The Ringer. He's a Player's Tribune uh, writer now, or writer-editor. But uh, I think he's writing a book, and he's got his account on private right now. So it's, uh, he's, like, taking a Twitter break. So I think he's the funniest guy on Twitter, but it's a bad answer right now because he's taking a little Twitter break. But, uh, you know, like... I Like a lot of the the uh, the usual suspects, I think I think Mr. Rotoviz himself, uh, the fantasy douche, very very funny on Twitter. Uh, I think CD Carter he does a good job with the old brand. Uh, I like CD, even though he needs to d- delete his account. Uh, <laughs> I do like CD Carter. Um, sometimes you know if I want some like dry humor, I love. Uh, I love, it's not it's not intentional humor but i always find i always get a good laugh out of miami herald uh, barry jackson's twitter uh just dryly tweeting about like uh the ongoing disasters of miami sports 90 <laughs> percent uh, of the time being the dolphins uh that's what i that's why maybe i need an automatic laugh i would go read a just a dry barry jackson tweet about the dolphins
2: <laughs> great stuff yeah and i, I feel like having you know followed all these these beat writers and you know uh, mining them for information i I imagine that you uh you really learn to appreciate the ones that can inject some humor into the daily grind right
1: yeah absolutely and football twitter in general there's not enough of that i think i think baseball twitter does a does a better job of keeping it lighter and uh and I think part of the problem with football Twitter, not football. I mean, I love football Twitter, but like it's when there's only one game a week you, know, you have a week to obsess over everything and mm-hmm. argue about everything. Whereas baseball Twitter, you know, it's just like this never ending ongoing saga and kind of just like by design kind of lowers the stakes. People chill out a little more. People goof around a little more. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I th- but I do think football Twitter's great and lots of funny people on football Twitter.
2: Yeah, totally agree. And, uh, I recommend everyone follow one of the very funny people on football Twitter, RotoPat, at RotoPat. Um, Pat, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it.
1: It's always my pleasure. Uh, again, you're too kind. But uh, yeah, lo- love love RotoViz and love the pod. And anytime uh, anytime you guys need a guest, I'm, I'm down.
2: Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio, the flagship RotoViz podcast. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotavizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rodovis Radio homepage, rodoviscom slash radio.
4: The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends,
2: whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, Only on Showtime.